We're coming to you from the Brave Podcast Studio at Consensus 2023. Brave is the privacy browser used by almost 60 million people worldwide. It has everything you need to stay safe online. Check them out today at brave.com. This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto. And welcome to Carpe Consensus. And we are actually here at Consensus, right here on the show floor of a major, major festival from Coindesk. And we're very, very excited. And joining me today is Danny Nelson. Hey, Danny. Good morning. And Cam Thompson. Hey, Cam. Hello. Good afternoon. It's not morning anymore. Good afternoon. Good morning. GM's is... too late, Danny. Oh, no. Okay. It's okay. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So, uh, you know, we're all in conference mode now, so I've completely lost track of time. Time does not exist. You know, we, here at Coindesk, we're supposed to use UTC. In Austin, we're supposed to use Central. Right now, we're on conference time, which means there's absolutely none of it. It's all very confusing. So how does it feel actually to be here? We've talked about this conference for so many months now, and there's been a lot of preparation from the company. What are you feeling, Danny? Oh, it's, I'm in my conference mode. When I'm in conference mode, people come up to me and say, are you okay? And inside, I'm deeply not okay because I'm running about so quickly and I have so many things to do, but I just have to remember to smile and pretend like everything's not on fire. But it's a good kind of fire. It's the fire where you get things done, you get a lot of pictures, you talk to a lot of people, you record a lot of podcasts, all that good stuff. Excellent. It's really good to see everybody here. Cam, what are you picking up on? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've just been here running around a ton. I am very stressed out, but I'm at the point where I'm too stressed to really, you know, be anxious or think about it too much. So I am blissfully riding the vibes. That's all I'm doing. How are your feet doing? My feet are not okay. So remember how I said that I was going to wear cowboy boots? Mm-hmm. I had this whole plan. I was so excited. So I'm wearing them. Um, I cannot feel my heels. I'm in so much pain. These boots are not comfortable. I did not break them in properly. And that's on me. That's fully on me. I understand that. But... Uh, yeah, I'm really sad. It was my dream to just waltz around in my cowboy boots and I'm going to have to go back to the Hilton and change. Now we're going to get to our segment uh, Inside the Desk. It's uh, where we uh, look at how reporters and editors at Coindesk are reporting the news here. And Danny, you've had a busy morning. It's only one o'clock and you've already done two stories. One involved uh, Circle. Tell us about that. Yeah, but both involved Circle, actually. I started the morning with Coindesk's first story of the conference, uh, covering Jeremy Lair's comments at the very start of the conference, just talking about the state that Circle, uh, the issuer of USDC, is in right now, the headwinds it faces, how it's recovering from the banking crisis in March. And after covering that, I quickly moved into another Circle story where I was writing about a new sort of bridge technology that, that Circle has launched that will allow people to basically move their assets, their, their USDC, from Avalanche to Ethereum and back and forth in a way that's more secure than the bridges that people are more accustomed to does right now. And some of those bridges have been uh, heavily hacked in the yes, past. Yes, and bridges have been hacked in the past, and people have lost a lot of money because of the way bridges works, whereby they've locked tokens up over here and create wrapped uh, derivative tokens over there. What, what Circle is doing is destroying the token over here and recreating it over there, which is much safer because that means that you can't just steal the locked up assets. It might also mean that maybe someone will find a way to turn on the money machine in a place where it's not supposed to. So I'm curious as to how they treat those issues. But 
at least for the moment, they're saying it's going to be a much safer way to move uh, USDC about. And Cam, uh, you did a panel this morning about Web3 and uh, brands. Uh, how did that go? Yeah, it went great. I love speaking to Amanda, Kate, and Shiva. You know, I've spoken to them for many months over, you know, different topics about NFTs, Web3, the metaverse. And, you know, in this moment where a lot of brands are starting to step into Web3, it's the, kind of the perfect time to have conversations like that. And well, something that came up that was interesting is that regulatory concerns are very intense in these companies that are stepping into Web3. And a lot of it, you know, has to deal with this coordinated crackdown, quote unquote, you know, that's going on right now. Right. And for a lot of people, you know, Sheva said this great line, no CMO wants to testify in front of the SEC. Right. Like, it's very true. And it's something that a lot of people have to have to really take seriously when stepping into Web3. And without it, it's going to hinder people. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because uh, a lot of people think about this regulatory crackdown as being against crypto, but it's actually against uh, kind of the future of the internet in general, isn't it? I mean, it's not just crypto companies that are trying to develop in Web3. It's also mainstream brands like PepsiCo. And when you have a CMO from PepsiCo saying that she doesn't know what to do uh, in crypto because of the SEC, I think that's a kind of red flag for the entire um, you know, United States uh, commercial industry. Uh, it's not just a few crypto companies. So that was interesting. And here at a conference, no one wants to end up like Do Kwan, who actually got served by the SEC at Masari's mainnet conference a couple of years ago. Now, Do Kwan has his own rather deserving uh, reasons to get uh, a summons from the SEC. But the, the worst thing that could happen to a founder is to have a very unwelcome present at a conference such as a subpoena. Well, we hope that uh, fate doesn't befall anyone else uh, here at Consensus. Uh, we're all trying to have a good time and uh, not worry about the regulators too much. Yeah, just a programming note, uh, we'll have uh, more from the conference next week uh, with another episode we're recording at the end of the conference uh, where we'll have some takeaways from what's gone on this week. Uh, but we're now just going to offer a bit of a preview, a bit of a taste of what's going on here uh, down from the show floor. So Consensus is always a bellwether of uh, activity in the industry uh, about how people are feeling. And when we did uh, the C22 uh, conference last year, it was really at the very height of the market. Everything was like going crazy. Uh, we've been preparing for months uh, during a bull market and we had every single aspect of crypto here represented and lots and lots of money flowing, lots of sponsorship, lots of events. Uh, this year's a bit more uh, low key. Uh, it's kind of fewer sponsors, fewer events. Um, it's still buzzing here, but it's uh, definitely a different vibe. Uh, what are you picking up on, Danny? No, I, I like the, the vibe. We're still filling out the entire Austin Convention Center, and this is not a small space, right? We don't need to have a sport court and another satellite here, another satellite there, and especially in the heat, right? Like it's, it's too damn hot in Austin, okay? Someone has to do something about the weather, and because we can't do anything about the weather, we did move the conference earlier this year, so it's a little more tolerable, and it's a little smaller, which just makes it easier to navigate and to talk to people and to get to the ideas and the speakers and, and the panels that are really worth giving a, some listen to here at Consensus. Right. Cam, I mean, you mentioned uh, regulatory uh, problems for the industry and for industry in general. I mean, that seems to be a big thing this year for people. Absolutely. There's, there's not a better time to have consensus given everything that's going on in the regulatory space when it comes to crypto. And there are a lot of great conversations that are already happening. I think that overall, if there is one theme that I'm already picking up on, it's regulation. And we'll be able to see that in all different types of panels are going to be focusing on regulation. And it's just worth noting that at a time when an industry and uh, 
U.S. industry in general is call, calling for uh, regulatory clarity. Uh, there is not a single member of the SEC here to provide any regulatory clarity, and we certainly invited uh, commissioners, esteemed people like Gary Gensler, to come here and provide that regulatory clarity, uh, but they declined that opportunity. So. That's uh, notable. It's almost like trying to get a comment out of Twitter. When, when reporters reach out to Twitter these days, Twitter auto-responds with a poop emoji. It, you know, the SEC doesn't go quite that far, but just all, nearly just as bad with the, uh, trying to get a handle of the SEC. They have no interest in joining us. Right. Uh, they're just uh, sitting in their ivory tower, uh, dishing out enforcement actions without providing any uh, kind of notice or explanation of why that should be. So that's uh, really a problem for this uh, industry. So if the SEC isn't here, who's president consensus that's contributing to this conversation on regulation? Plenty of people who are being called before the SEC are here, um, but <laughs> none of them want to talk quite about that. Well, we do have some uh, senators. So Cynthia Lamas is here from Wyoming, for instance. She's a big champion of crypto, so she's uh, appearing on the main stage. Uh, and we have Patrick McHenry, who is the head of the Financial Services Committee in the House. He's a very influential person. He is also here. He wears uh, good bow ties, so I'm very excited for he that. He wears excellent bow ties. He has a very good dress sense. Um, but it is notable that there's no actual regulator here to provide um, any kind of explanation of what's going on. So, um, yeah. So Michael Casey started this year's conference with an anecdote from last year. He talked about how at the Coindesk staff party, after a very successful consensus, we were having fun, getting a little too drunk. You know, he's Australian. He always gets a little too drunk. But... Um, the shots fired, baby. Um, wow. but, uh, but he knows it's true. We all know it's true. Anyway, uh, he was talking about how we were all having a good time after the show. We all went to bed. We woke up to a notification on our phone. Celsius had stopped all withdrawals. And that really kicked off the second leg of the massive bear market that we saw last year that started with the death of Terra. Then we had consensus. But then when Celsius uh, kicked the bucket, that really accelerated the fall that continued to, to took out BlockFi, took out Three Hours Capital, took out all these big firms. Ultimately, we took out FTX, but it just it fed into this very fast-changing world where crypto was falling apart. And that is the background that we are now having this consensus in, in April of 2023. Things have fallen apart. Looking out into this environment, can you tell that the mood of the people is different? I think so. But uh, on the other hand, I think uh, the kind of panic that we saw at the back end of last year is maybe not so evident here. I think uh, there has been some kind of stabilization going on in the last few months. And uh, maybe there's been some necessary kind of culling of the industry a little bit where we've seen the companies that are really uh, here for the long term, that really have treasuries and really sort of banks and reserves uh, during the good times are still surviving. And then some, some of the kind of fly-by-night operators who are frankly not here for the long all have dropped away, and maybe that's not such a bad thing. What do you think, Ken? Yeah, well, first of all, Danny, I want to bring back to what you were saying about Michael Casey's anecdote. I have a very vivid memory. We were sitting outside at the after-after party of the staff party, and you were talking about how you were expecting Celsius to go down. And, you know, we were all hanging around, drinking, celebrating a great C22. I don't C remember 22. this, so I'm going to get well, here. I, I, I do remember. Okay. You know, I remember that moment. I have moments where I remember. Let's mm -hmm. ju I'll just say that. And it was, you know, at a time where we were so happy with so much turnout, so many people showing up to consensus and having these conversations. And then 
the leave next it morning. To, leave it to Danny. Always bringing in the cynical view. Guess he was right on that one, though. You were. You were. No, you did. You you literally predicted it, and then the next morning that happened. I mean, I I agree. It's certainly you know the past several conferences that I've been to, there is this overarching tone of things are bad. You know, most panels, most of the programming has been around. Why are we still here? What are we building? How are we trying to push forth a space where crypto prices are down? Markets are really struggling right now. Regulation is not clear. I think that what I've seen so far is that there's still a lot of hope in terms of building a future, future of the internet. And you know, hope isn't enough though to really change markets or do much to actually get people to keep. Being in the space, you know, a lot of people who we saw, or I guess we saw as such thought leaders like SBF or people who were going to pioneer for a future of crypto, um, who are who are all gone. I mean, now we're at a point where a lot of people who are here are doing something right, and people who I might not have expected to be still be here, to be honest, or you know, who might have been, you know, a lesser known name last year, or really like, you know, they're on the main stage this year. There's a lot of excitement, and I think that highlighting a lot of people who are still building is really cool. And yet, we're still in an environment where the silliest of tokens can pump. Just a couple days exactly. ago, Pepe Coin was on a tear. I actually ran into a, a marketer here who uh, was very excited to tell me all about how Pepe Coin was going to change the world. You know, Pepe Coin isn't going to change the world; it's going to enrich some people, but. It, it, it's it's hard for me to to square that circle, right? Of of over here we've got millions of dollars flowing into a shit coin. For lack of, I'm sorry, this is a family show, but it's a shit coin. A family show. It's a fa <laughs> It's never been a family show, but you know, there are these coins that are objectively absurd and don't pretend to not be, but only exist because they know that the creators know that people will put money in because they think other people will put money in. It's not a Ponzi, but it's something close. And then over there we have circle creating this new technology to help move move honest money around. So this is all under the big tent of consensus, right? It, it's weird to think about how even in this environment where we're talking about the regulation, we're talking about uh, legal frameworks and stuff, there's still all this chicanery going on. Yeah. I thought it was interesting with Jeremy Allaire, the founder of Circle, uh, talking on the main stage today with Michael Casey and he was talking about a weekend uh, earlier this year when uh, USDC, um, because it lost its banking relationship with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which of course was in massive financial trouble, uh, you know, was briefly depegged for that weekend. And he was talking about um, what it was like as a company to go through that and the kind of roller coaster ride that the company's faced over the last 10 years. And he was making a claim that actually that moment will end up uh, advancing um, Circle and USDC in, in the long run because it was a bit like when Bitcoin came out, um, you know, 13 years ago, um, you know, that financial crisis kind of led to a kind of rethinking about the instability of the financial markets. So, uh, you know, we need these new forms of technology that are lighter, faster and more durable um, going forward. So I think it was kind of interesting, you know, how some people might think of USDC and Circle as a kind of company that was in trouble because of its banking relationship actually maybe coming out looking better because of that. Well, it's tough, right? Because Circle's loss was Tether's gain in this instance. Tether, the issuer of USDT, has grown its market cap in the wake of the Silicon Bank, in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank failure because people have lost trust 
to an extent in USDC, and their solution to it is to go to the asset that lots of critics have said for a long time is shady for various reasons. So that's going to be a hard pill to swallow. I don't know how Circle rallies from that. Circle works because USDC tries to have that trust layer that Tether does not. And that layer has been shaken, and the result of it is Tether is growing. So it's moments like this where people like Jeremy have to talk to the public and really explain how USDC is made stronger by a bank failure because the bank failed and the peg was lost. And there were a lot of ramifications from that. Right. I mean, there was a sort of perverse irony in that, wasn't there? Because uh, USDC, by any measure, has greater transparency. It has uh, mm -hmm. you know, issues, uh, reserve reports, and uh, attests to its uh, solvency uh, on, on a regular basis, where, whereas uh, Tether or USDT um, doesn't do that to the same extent and has been sort of shrouded in mystery for, for many years. And as you say, uh, it briefly uh, was advantaged by that crisis when people flooded into Tether at the expense of uh, USDC. But you have to imagine that transparency will benefit uh, Circle and USDC in, in the long run because, um, you know, history of commerce, the history of finance shows that transparency uh, generally wins the day eventually. You have to hope. Yep. The hopium. The hopium is alive. We have, the to, hope that, is we have alive. to hope that trust and transparency wins the day. No guarantee, though. Let's seize the consensus. <laughs> Why are you here, Cam? What are, you looking, here? What, are you, what are you here to get? <laughs> yeah, so I'm really excited to see the fireside chat with Daniel Allegre. He is the newly appointed CEO of Yuga Labs. And I'm really interested to hear about his, not only his background coming from Activision Blizzard and how that in the context of working at Yuga sets him up to create this metaverse to be more gamified, having more integrations. Also how the Yuga Labs IP is going to transition out of the NFT world. I think that there are a lot of opportunities there that people aren't really talking about enough. And I'm excited to see how that is going to come into conversation. Also just getting to know him. This is his first conference where he's speaking as the CEO of Yuga Labs. It's really exciting. Ben, what about you? Why are you here? What are you, what are you checking out? What's the inside scoop? Well, I'm really looking forward to Edward Snowden. Uh, he was a you know, historical figure who uh, uncovered all kinds of malfeasance uh, in the US uh, intelligence system and kind of showed how um, you know, this whole crypto thing, which people tend to associate with speculation and assets, and you talk about Pepe coin and all that kind of stuff, Actually, there are kind of some deeper issues at play here, and Snowden, I think, really kind of can talk to those. You know, it's about privacy. It's about who actually owns the internet. Um, is it kind of just a honeypot for intelligence services or for Facebook or for multiple kind of malfeasant actors to spy on us? Or is it about, like, uh, self-sovereignty and uh, giving power back to individuals? That's what I'm really concerned about, and I think Edward Snowden talks so eloquently about that, and he'll be on the uh, main stage with a uh, very own um, David Morris uh, later this week, so I'm looking forward to that. Danny, what are you looking forward I to? I am here for the culture, all right? Like, yeah, I, all these people, I, well, I'm here for the pictures, right? I want to take a picture of the Richard Famous, myself included, of course. Of but course. what I'm really here for is going to all these different parties, talking to these people, seeing how the vibes check out, right? I've been to so many conferences, so many, many, many conferences, and each time every company and their mother has a party to try to express their desires through dollars and cents. What the, those parties say about those companies really is important because it shows the type of mood that they're going for. It shows 
the vibes, right? Last night, Tron had some crazy uh, thing. Uh, look at that Cam. You can't, listeners. I wish sorry, you could. Sorry. I wish you. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna get, paint an audio picture what Cam just did. She, as soon as I said the word Tron party, her eyes fluttered, like she moved away from her microphone because she just remembered how wonderful the party was. It was so wonderful. It was a <laughs> rooftop. There was some dancing people in metallic suits. There was there was some food. You know, it was it was vibes. Yeah. So, yes, so I'm here for the vibes. I buy, sell, trade vibes, okay? So I want to understand what's going on. Yes. It's Cam's Corner, Austin edition. Let's go. And we're here, obviously, coming at this from the Web3 angle. I have been running around so far, trying to see who's here from the space. And something I've noticed is, you know, as many artists as I've run into, you know, I was hanging out with a bunch of artists last night and they're all really excited to be here. People building in the NFT space. You know, I'm currently sitting in the middle of the conference floor, you know, in this glass box. And I'm looking around at all of the different companies and I'm seeing there's Stellar right over there. There's also Stellar over also there. Stellar. There's a lot of Stellar. There's USD coin. Right. There's Brave. Yeah, there's, you there's know. There's Desk. Desk coin, everyone. Buy Desk. I'm sorry, don't buy Desk, but, but, but acquire Desk. Acquire yes. Desk through non-exchange be a desk means whale. and become be a Desk like whale. Be like Danny and be a Desk whale. Yes. Please but, don't buy it, though. It's not a security. <laughs> but anyways, with that being said, you know, I so far haven't seen any NFT marketplaces, NFT specific products here. I know that there are some. It just doesn't really have the same presence that the rest of these crypto companies here do. And I think... That's honestly a good thing. And the reason why is, you know, on this podcast, I've been big on pushing the narrative that Web3 and crypto are separate. And as much as you have all of these technologies that exist on the Ethereum blockchain and Ethereum itself is a token, the way in which these two industries are working together, they deserve a little bit of separate attention. Or One of the themes that I picked up on is there's a focus on Web2 brands entering Web3. So, of course, you know, we might not see Pepsi do an activation here on the floor, right? But we're going to have, you know, CMO of Pepsi speak on a panel or people from Starbucks as well are present, companies that are trying to adopt these strategies. So that being said, I think that having this a little bit of separation here, you know, focusing on the crypto, but then having the Web3 in conversations, I do think that's valuable because I think there needs to be a little bit of explaining as to how the narrative is different. I thought that was a really good point, actually, because and it was something that Shiva picked up, uh, the, the, the guy from uh, OpenSea on your panel. He was saying, and I was expecting him to kind of go along with this kind of, uh, you know, rebranding of NFTs or the metaverse with something more sort of mainstream. But he actually said, let's keep crypto special. Let's keep that kind of language and, uh, you know, make it a little bit uncomfortable for people to learn and kind of to come into. Otherwise, the whole thing is just completely sanitized and there's nothing different about Web3. It's just like basically web to kind of, you know, continue. So, so, you, so, so you need a bit of a barrier to entry in order to make it Well, valuable? I mean, web, web three is different. It's not just about technology. It's about values. It's about a sort of social movement here as well. You know, and if it's just like technology as usual, uh, sort of updated and upgraded, then uh, what's special about crypto? And, you know, why are we here really? Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that. I think that there does need to be some, it, it, can't, it can't be too, it can't be too comfortable to get into crypto, it, it, which is a weird thing to say, right? Because the whole idea of mass adoption necessitates that it's very easy to get into crypto. But the way that people pursue mass adoption is to abstract away the parts of crypto that make crypto valuable, like self-custody. Self-custody is at the core of crypto. 
the, the idea that you don't keep your money with a bank or an entity, but you yourself have the keys to your coins. And that's hard to do, and it's scary, because if you lose the keys, you lose your money. You don't call the bank, there is no bank. You are the bank. So it's scary, and it's also not user-friendly. And there's not really a way to solve that. No. I totally agree with you. And it's, it's the same with uh, decentralization in general or privacy. I mean, these are absolutely core principles of Web3. And if we just sort of massage them away and kind of say they don't really matter and we need wide adoption uh, and just put everything on, on the Google Cloud, then, um, you know, we're not really doing anything different here. And, you know, we're not really progressing the Internet and, and, and making it what it can be. Um, and it's certainly diverting a long way from the original kind of principles of Bitcoin and that white paper that we all know and love, which was really uh, you know, a, a, a new ethos, a new kind of mission statement, a call to arms for people to behave differently. And um, you know, if we lose all of that, then what are we doing here? So something that Amanda Cassatt, who's the CEO of Serotonin, she's been on Carpe Consensus before, on the panel that I moderated, she talked about how she is all in on companies using onboarding solutions and using elements of Web 2 and Web 3 in order to help bring people into the space. And if you're trying to scale a company, that absolutely makes sense. However, that is completely not the point of why we're here. That is absolutely against Web 3 ethos entirely. Having the keys to your own wallet, operating on a fully decentralized network, being able to actually have autonomy over your assets, over your crypto, over your NFTs. It's something that is hard for the average person to understand. I completely get that. However, if you're also alongside that, trying to onboard more people, you know, using a custodial wallet, if, which means company has your keys, if you are logging into platforms and you're typing in XYZ amount of data about yourself, it is not... It's not why we're here. It's not the proper use of the technology. And I think that there is a lot of hysteria around Web3, companies trying to push themselves into it. You know, we saw Porsche do that earlier and their mint really flopped. And then we're seeing companies like Starbucks start to roll out their products with this Odyssey program. You know, I haven't been able to test it. It's still very early, but we'll see how that does. I mean, with all this urgency, people tend to forget the real, like the actual technology behind what Web3 is and why it's important. It's just really this marketing stunt. Mm -hmm. So what, where does that leave us, right? Like, do, are we content for crypto to be this like ins insular group of weirdos who do not your keys, not your coins? Because in a way that is what it has to be if it's going to be what it's supposed to be. But it also is, that's not, we have 10,000, 13,000 people here at this conference. How many of them are currently engaging in a self-custody setup regularly. I almost never use my self-custody wallet. I keep most of my assets on an exchange, I also right? keep my assets and on I'm, an exchange. Maybe, I'm, I, are we being hypocritical? We, I, I mean, I think about this all the time. I barely knew how to use MetaMask two months ago. I was on the phone with a company. I will not name the name. They were showing me a demo of their product, and I asked them, can I connect XYZ Exchange's wallet? It took me a second to figure out how to do this. I was so humbled. It was embarrassing. I don't really follow all of the things. You know, I don't really practice what I preach, and that's unfortunate. Also, I just don't, you know, like, we are journalists. We disclose our holdings. I'm not regularly trading things, but I do hold a little bit, so I should probably know the safest thing. You, you, you can't tell me you see a hot NFT mint and you're not trying to get in on that. Well, if you're not writing about it, of course. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't buy NFTs that I want 
Mm. Like, so do you only buy ones that you don't want? I, there are so many NFTs that I would really love to have. I would A, love to display it on my wall, B, be a part of the community, C, just flex it in my Twitter profile picture. But I'm not going to do that. And even though I could buy it and disclose it, I don't want to limit what I can write about. Also, I'm the only Web3 reporter. So it'd be unfortunate if a collection really took off and there's no one to write about it. Like, I can't, obviously, I'm not going to own Trump NFTs. One, because they're Trump NFTs. And two, because then who's going to write about the Trump NFTs? I, for the record, I did buy, I think I've spoken about it before. I did buy the Trump NFT. Did you buy the second one? No, I did not buy the second one. I forgot, I, I missed that entirely. The artwork was insane. I did ha- do some Web3 coverage this last week, though. I wrote about the Mad Lads yes. NFT drop on Solana. Talk about it. Yes, it was, it was interesting because I, it is a new NFT technology on the Solana blockchain called XNFT, which we don't have to get into the details of, but it's not just a simple NFT. There's a technological aspect that's different. And so I wanted to engage with this. And so that meant trying to participate in the Mint. The Mint was 6.9 sold. I have a lot more than that. And it's, it's, it's whatever. It's about 150 bucks. So I tried to do the Mint. It was a very hot mint. It minted out in seconds. I did not succeed. I was talking to the founders of this thing afterward and they were saying, oh my God, we should have put you on the wait list, all this, all that, because they were very happy with, you know, it was their opinion that they liked the coverage that I had given so far. But I was like, you know, I can't, I can't accept being on a white list, right? I, I can't have preferential access to these things because of my position. I want, I want to engage with it. I want to acquire it so that I can understand the technology because that is a core to our policy at Coindesk of holding these assets. But if I'm not able to get it as another person would get it, then that's just the way it is. I think there are lots of journalists in this space uh, who have buyer's remorse uh, during the bull market and they saw lots of people get filthy rich and they didn't. And then, uh, but now we're secretly quite happy we didn't invest in all these uh, tokens uh, because a lot of people lost a lot of money. So maybe it's not a bad thing that we have this uh, control in place to stop us from uh, speculating too much. I see. Yes, it's, it's keeping us protected from ourselves, perhaps. Yeah, I remember about a year ago, I had a thought, I should actually use FTX more. I should buy crypto on FTX. <laughs> oh, no. I should store it oh, on no. FTX. I should just get more familiar with the platform. But I never did anything with that. And thank God. Thank God. Yeah, I, I, I kept money on FTX because they had 8% yield. It was amazing. You would get yield. And I didn't know where the yield was coming from. But, but you know, the, you know, the, the, the big rule problems. in crypto is if you don't know the, where the yield is coming from, then you are the yield. Yep. Okay, we're going to wrap this show now from the show floor here. And we're having a really good time. And that was Danny Nelson. And that was Cam Thompson. And I'm Ben Schiller. And we'll see you next time. So please... Listen, obviously, to this podcast and also leave a review. uh, And we would heartily appreciate that uh, because we like a bit of feedback. And if you're here at Consensus this week and you hear the show, please come and say hello. We're very nice people and we'll have a good conversation with you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week.